0: Scripture lesson for this morning comes to us from the book of Exodus, chapter 33, verses 12 through 23. Listen now for God's word to you. Moses said to the Lord, see, you have said to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now if I have found favor in your sight, show me your ways so that I may know you and find favor in your sights. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. God said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, If your presence will not go, do not carry us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people, unless you go with us? In this way we shall be distinct, I and your people, from every nation on the face of the earth, the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing that you have asked, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Show me your glory, I pray. And God said, I will make all of my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before you the name the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But God said, You cannot see my face, for no one shall see me and live. And the Lord continued, See, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Have you ever walked into the room at a weird time? or worse yet, had someone walk into you at a weird time. Like the story I found online of uh, an employee who thought she was alone in the office building. She was twirling around in her chair, singing as loudly as she could, and then her boss walked in. <laughs> They're lucky to have me, she said. Um, Or the time recently when I was at home with Nora and Heather was at work and I thought it was just Nora and I at home by ourselves and I didn't know Heather had gotten home early and she heard me baby talking to Nora in the sweetest way possible. She says, is that how you talk to Nora when I'm not here? Yes, yes it is. (laughs) But don't worry, I have a story about her too. Like the time Heather and I were living at my parents' house, between when we moved, we moved from Chicago to Princeton. The lease on our apartment was up, so we had a couple of months before we moved. So my parents were gracious enough to let us live with them rent-free. Well, Heather one day was singing Feliz Navidad as loud as she possibly could in the kitchen. I don't know why it was like August, and my dad walks in and startles her. And his response to her is, "Well, don't stop on my account." We're walking into the room at sort of a, a weird moment here this morning, the story of, of God showing Moses his back. Um, this is a strange little story, and it's funny because uh, a couple of weeks ago when I was out of town and Stacey Peterson was preaching for me, he mentioned this story and said, I'll leave it to Anders to preach that one. Uh, he had no idea it was in my plans to preach on this story today. Uh, But it is a weird story. Moses and and God are having a conversation. They have this back and forth. And Moses says, let me see you face to face. Let me see you unveiled in all of your glory. And God says, you can't see me because to see me is to live. But here's what I'll do for you, Moses. I'm going to put you on the rock and I'm going to cover you with my hand. And then at the last possible moment, I'll pull my hand away and you can see my backside. It is a story that makes the inner junior higher within all of us giggle just a little bit. Moses gets to see God's butt. <laughs> it's a weird little story. We're walking into the room at a sort of strange, odd time. But really, we're walking into the room with something much bigger going on. That Moses and God have been in the middle of this intense exchange, probably for the last two chapters or so. It starts up on Mount Sinai. Moses is up on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments from God. But while Moses is up on the mountain, the people are down at the base wondering what's happened to Moses. He's been gone for a lot longer than they anticipated, and they have no idea what's happened to him. Has he died? Is he just delayed? Where is Moses? And if Moses is gone, in a sense, God's presence is also gone from them because Moses has really been the one relaying the messages from God to the people. And so the question becomes, where is God? And we've all been there in our lives. We've all been in the wilderness places in our lives wondering where God is. Where is God's presence? We've, we've had those moments of wondering what the future holds. The future feels uncertain. We've been laying in bed late at night at 1, 2, three o'clock in the morning, worrying about what's to come, worrying about that never-ending to-do list. That, that call from the doctor's office saying, we need you to, to come in for further testing, or, or hearing that the company is downsizing and worrying, are we going to be part of the cuts? We've all been there. We've all been in that wilderness place in our lives wondering where God is. Where is God's presence? And when we wonder where God is in those wilderness places, we start to get anxious, And that's exactly what happens to the Israelites here in the story. They start to get anxious. And so they start to look for something that can fill in the gap, that absence, that feeling of of absence of God's presence. And so what they do is they build a golden calf. It's one of the most famous stories in the entire book of Exodus. You think about the movie The Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston. I used to watch that every Easter. I don't know why it came on during Easter time. This episode where they build a golden calf... And often this story is viewed as simply an act of idolatry on the part of the Israelites. They decide to melt down their jewelry and they form a golden calf and they say to the people, here is the God who brought you out of slavery in Egypt. But Really, I think this episode, this building of a golden calf, is really a response born out of anxiety. This anxiety of wondering where God is. We start to look for those things that can fill in the gaps. And we've been there, too. Here, the company's downsizing. We're going to start working longer hours, longer than we're paid for. So that way, when the cuts come, we can avoid them. Or we become control freaks, having a contingency plan for everything that could go wrong in the world. All of these are just simply golden calves. I think religious fundamentalism is a golden calf. It's a way of creating some sort of certainty in an uncertain world. The people are anxious. Where is God? And let me say that God's reaction to this whole episode doesn't come off making God look very good. Let me just say that here from the outset. Um, It's uncomfortable, and you should be uncomfortable with what happens next, because God sees what the Israelites are doing, building this golden calf, And God says to Moses on the mountain, leave me alone so that my wrath can burn against them so that I can destroy them and I'll make a great nation out of you instead, Moses. That's the image of God we want, right? (laughs) But then something happens. Moses intercedes on behalf of the people. Uh, Moses says... Uh, this is not consistent with your character, God. And, and really, we have all been there, too. There's a lot of what's called anthropomorphic language to describe God in this story. These sort of human-shaped ways of describing God, that God has, has a, a hand and a backside. But I also think that God has been down this road with humanity before, this feeling of rejection it seems to be triggering something within God that causes God to react in this way, to react with anger. And we've been there. Someone does something to us that we've experienced before. We can sometimes act in ways that are inconsistent with who we are. And that's why it's always good to have somebody in your life who can help you to take a second and to not act in ways that you will regret. And that's exactly what Moses does for God here in the story. He says, God, what are all of the other nations going to say about you if you decide to do this? Your, your your character, your honor is going to be torn apart. What, what are the Egyptians going to say about you? They're going to say you brought the Israelites out here to the wilderness just to kill them. This is inconsistent with your character. What's more is you have made a promise to our ancestors, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Are you really the sort of God who cancels promises? Let's take a moment here to appreciate Moses in the story, the ways that Moses intercedes. It seems that God always needs somebody who can intercede on, uh, on, God, on humanity's behalf. Um, and I've said this before, it's one of my more heretical thoughts, um, but I'm pretty comfortable with my heresy these days. That um, <laughs> it seems to me that God doesn't intrinsically know how to relate with human beings, at least in the earliest books of the Bible, that God seems to sort of need to, to learn how to be in relationship with humanity. And God is in need of intercessors, people like Moses, who can help God to understand what human beings need. I mean, here is Moses, who, all the way back at the beginning of the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 3, meets God in the burning bush. God says, Go speak to Pharaoh, liberate my people from enslavement. And Moses says, You know what, God, I'm not really good at public speaking. This isn't really my thing. Sounds like the people who get called by the nominating committee. <laughs> Choose somebody else. But now here's Moses arguing and debating with God and winning because that intercession works and God relents. God essentially takes some time apart to cool God's heels a little bit. God sends an angel um, to be with the people because God can't can't even look at them right now. We've all said that before too, right? Um, God even starts calling the Israelites your people when he's referring to Moses or these people. Um, we've been there too, like when I'm mad at my kids. you see what your son did, what your daughter did? Uh, we've all been there. And so God takes some time apart. But I think at the heart of all of this, what Moses is trying to get God to understand is that the people need to have some assurances of God's presence. They need to know in some way how God is present with them because they're feeling this tremendous absence. And so here we enter into this strange little story. And Moses is again interceding on behalf of the people, saying, God, these are not just my people. These are your people as well. You called us. Yeah, we're stiff-necked and we're stubborn, but you have bound yourself to us. We need you to go with us. In fact, we're not going to go any further unless you decide to come with us. And again, Moses' intercession works, and God says, my presence will go with you into the promised land. My presence will go with you. But Moses wants something more from God. He wants some assurances of God's presence. And so he comes up with this bold and audacious request. I want to see you fully unveiled, God. I want to see who the great and powerful Oz really is. I want to see you face to face. And God isn't angry at Moses' request. In fact, the inference in the story is not even that God can't be seen face to face. In fact, you can see God face to face, but the problem is you're going to die if you do it. But the people still need some assurances of God's presence. So what's the solution? And This is when God says, I'm going to put you on the rock, I'm going to cover you with my hand, and then you can see my behind." You can't see my face, but you can see my butt. You can see where I have been, essentially. You can, all of my goodness, God says, is going to pass by in front of you. And that term goodness is sort of abstract to me. But all that goodness is, is God's love and grace and mercy. How will the people know that God is present with them? by looking and seeing all of the places in their lives where God's goodness has passed by in front of them, where all of that grace and love and mercy has gone in front of them. that the truth is they can't see God face to face, but they'll see God where God has been, that they will see God in retrospect. And I think if we look at our own lives, The truth is, is we often don't recognize God in the moment, but we recognize God as we see those places in our lives where God has been. I think about my own life. I think about that second semester in seminary when my mental health took a real bad hit. It was as bad as it probably had ever been in a long time, and uh, my anxiety was really bad. I had a hard time going to class some days. I was starting to have panic attacks for the first time, and sometimes in class, which is not a great place to have a panic attack. Um, and so finally I decided I couldn't do it on my own. I couldn't um, will myself to be better. And so I walked into the office of the director, or the office building of the director of student counseling. I started to fill out a form to, to get a referral to see a counselor and. I had my head down, I was writing, and that's when the director of student counseling came over and she leaned over and she said, do you need to talk to somebody now? (laughs) And I said, yes, please. I didn't recognize it in the moment, but as I look back on that story, it was God's goodness passing right in front of me, that grace and love and mercy found in the director of student counseling leaning over and saying, do you need to talk? Think about your own lives. Think about those moments on the highest mountain peak and in the lowest valley. Think about those moments in the promised land, but especially think about those moments in the promised land or in the wilderness. Those moments where you weren't sure what was coming next. The moments when life felt uncertain. Those moments when you've gotten the phone call. Those moments where you're unsure. Do you see God? That God's goodness passed by right in front of you. I imagine for all of us, we can see those signs of God's presence. Because the truth is, is we live our lives in the wake of God's goodness, that we are not going anywhere in our lives where the goodness of God, the goodness of love and grace and mercy have not already walked ahead of us. What we are assured of in this story is that God's character is one of goodness, one of love and grace and mercy, and that no matter where we step, no matter where we go, we are walking on ground that has already been touched by God's love and grace and goodness. Thanks be to God. Amen.